A very warm welcome to the October 2022 episode of the Uxbridge FM podcast. I'm Steve Parker, and if you've not listened before, each month we chat to some interesting people around the Uxbridge area. Coming up, we're gardening, there's poetry, some information on cancer for men, but first off, the council are changing many of the rubbish collection times. Let's find out a bit more about that. So Cathy Nubley is here, and you are Head of Waste Services at the Borough Council. Hi, Cathy. Hi, Steve. Thank you for inviting me. Now, having a quick chat about um, dustmen and waste today, because the council is going to be changing some of the days people's waste gets collected on, which might be a big story. But first of all, I've got a few questions for you, because I like to watch dust carts go round, and I've got lots of questions about... First of all, I've always thought, who gets to drive the dust cart? (laughs) Well, (laughs) not anyone can actually drive the dust cart, Steve. Uh, You have to have an HGV. So uh, the majority of our dust carts are 26-tonne dust carts, and uh, you need an HGV licence to do that. And obviously it's a very skilled job. You need to get a very large vehicle, sometimes into very small spaces, whilst looking out for pedestrians, other drivers, and of course their own crew. Yeah. And roughly how far would a dustman walk in a typical round, would you say? I would say about eight to ten miles a day. Um, I know I tried to work on a garden waste vehicle once, in another council and thankfully I did it on a Friday because I could not get down the stairs on Saturday. <laughs> it was uh, I was absolutely seized up. It's very, very demanding physically. Yeah. And is there a limit on the number of bags you can put out? No, you can put out as many bags as you want to. Obviously, we really encourage our residents to recycle as much as you can do. Use your food waste caddy when you can do, because that will save the foxes tearing bags open overnight. So, no, it's completely weekly, and that isn't going to change. And you can put out as many bags as you feel necessary. So there's there's four types of waste, is that right? Yes. The black bags. You've got your black bags. Can you name them? Recycling, so dry and mixed recycling. Yeah. And we've got your garden waste. Yes. And then your food. Well done. Yes. Yes. Now, on our street, there aren't many people with the food caddies, I don't think. How do we get hold of the food caddy boxes? Is that just a call to the council? Yeah, I mean, go online. That's that's what I would recommend you do. Go online and uh, we will deliver a food waste caddy kit to your door and that will contain a a large green caddy that you put outside every week, a silver caddy which you put on your kitchen counter, a roll of bags which are cornstarch so they will decompose and also a leaflet giving you top tips on how to use the service. But it's really easy. Yeah. And are there things we can do that help the dustman? The obvious one being put the black bags at the boundary of your property I suppose but what else can we do to help them? With the rounds changing the crews may be working in unfamiliar areas so really make your your collections visible to the road so that we don't have to hunt around to try and find where you're leaving your food caddy for example with the nights drawing in now it can be quite dark when they start working so 
that would be my ask. Please make your collection uh, bags as visible as possible on the day of collection. So the big news is that the rounds might be changing where you live. Uh, you've been doing a big survey using lots of data, I imagine, yep. and collecting lots of uh, Excel spreadsheets together. This is all to try and save CO2, is that right? Yeah, so we haven't actually rerouted in the last 17 years. And as you can imagine, Steve, developments have gone up, new houses, new flats, new roads. And it's made uh, our current collection rounds lumpy and a bit uneven. And we're doing far more travelling than we need to. So we're going to rezone the borough and we're going to start to collect on a Monday in the north of the borough. And then as the days go by, we work our way south so that we finish on a Friday in the south of the borough. All right. It's going to affect about 53% of houses. So flats aren't changing. So if you live in a flat, don't worry about it. You're not going to be changing yet. But if you're in a house, expect and look out for a letter to be landing on your doormat. There are two letters that we're sending out. One is to say... Big news, your day is changing, and this is what the change of day is going to be from the 31st of October. The second letter is then going to say, no change to your day, but your time of collection is almost certainly going to be changing. So it's a big change, I suppose, for most of the borough, which, um, yeah, look out for the letters coming through doors. Mm. The other question that I've always wondered is, when the recycling goes to the recycling place, this is uh, the Biffer company, isn't it, that recycles all the, yep. the waste. How does it work? I mean, how do they sort out all the different metals and the cardboards and the papers and things? Okay, so it's a fantastic operation. It mixes technology with human input. So bags are split and the material is put on little trammel belts. Metal is selected by magnets. Paper and card are segregated through wind, air, pressure, and bottles are segregated through slots. And also right at the end, there is hand picking. So people will pick what's left and, and segregate it that way. It's a real operation. Mm. Try and get myself to a little visit there one day, maybe. <laughs> if they do little tours, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> The other thing is, obviously, you can't put things like sofas and fridges out on your driveway and expect those to be collected by a normal yeah. dust cart. There's a special way of getting those collected, isn't there? Yeah, we call it special collections. So, again, you can go online or ring, but you can book yourself a special collection. If you're on any form of benefits or over 65, you can get one free collection every quarter or you just pay a, a small nominal fee to get up to six items collected. It has to be outside your house, and we come along in a cage vehicle and we will come and pick it up for you. So watch out for the letters coming through the doors because your collection day may change or your, your time. Mm. That's great, Cathy. Thanks for popping in and telling us about that, and um, maybe we'll get a trip to the recycling plant one day. That would be great. <laughs> Thank you very much for inviting <laughs> me. Thanks, Steve. Cheers. Thanks. We're popping outside to the Uxbridge FM garden now to find out what we should be doing around this time of year. So it's a big hello to Hardeep Singh from Harmonsworth Horticultural Association. Hi, Hardeep. Hi there. Now it's autumn and 
it's time to almost put away the garden, isn't it? How's things over at the allotments? Yeah, you put that really well, Steve, put away the garden. It's all a focus on collecting your last sort of harvest, cleaning down the tools, winter digging, which is really important at the moment. So what's taking up my time? I've pulled all the onions up, so they've all nicely dried, strung up and ready to use over the next few months. So they've, they're stored really well, as is the garlic. Same with that. That's all been picked, dried and hung up. We've had an abundance of squashes this year, so all different types of squashes. And now's the time to just cut back all the foliage, let the sun, when we do have sun, hit the fruits and so they can dry, ripen, and again, ready to store. It's a real sort of focus towards harvest. And then from the sort of fruit side, we've been trimming down our apple trees, pruning them back, collecting all the fruit. We've got some wonderful apples this year, juicy, fresh those are really good. The pear trees we've dealt with as well. And we're also sowing as well. So although it's putting things away, absolutely a time to put things in the ground. So we've started off some winter cabbages and those will go all the way through winter and we'll get a nice crop sort of in spring. Also, what's coming to a head is our Brussels sprouts. Those are really forming really well and they'll be ready in time for Christmas. We've also got purple sprouting broccoli. So that's something I've never planted before, Steve, and I thought I'm going to try it because I've seen other plot holders growing it, and it's just coming through now, and it looks amazing. It's a lovely purple head, and it tastes absolutely wonderful. I like to save seeds, so all the pods that I didn't get a chance to pick or ripen too quickly. So I'm now going around collecting all the seeds, putting them in brown bags, labelling them, ready to use next year. So that's the vegetables. And then let's come on to the flowers. So things like dahlias, they're going really well, really strong. And salvias, they'll go all the way through at least another few months. So a lot of colour on the plot as well to look at. All this sort of stuff we're pulling out of the ground, it's all going on the compost bin. So we're beginning to start our compost ready for next year. So it's really, although it's slowing down, a lot of jobs to do still to get ready. The focus is now on actually next year, believe it or not. I'm thinking, what am I going to put in next year? Where am I going to put it in this rotation of plants? So it's quite a busy time of year. And are there things we can be doing to the soil, maybe sort of mulching and and getting it ready? So apart from digging, we're adding in some manure, horse manure, just dig that in and leave it over winter. I tend to cover some of my beds with cardboard or any sort of reused plastic bags just to keep the heat in and let the insects break down that compost. The key thing is sort of digging it over, getting the weeds out, getting the roots out so that the soil gets a good rest actually for winter. And how's your pumpkin crop ready for Halloween? Have you got any pumpkins? Yeah, we we actually had a, a, we did an exhibition a few weeks ago in Harmonsworth where I think we were weighing our pumpkins. I think one of them was over four kilos so we've had some really good good pumpkins we've we've sort of gone towards the smaller ones this year the mini pumpkins because they're lovely roasted uh, and you get many more on a plant but we've had a huge range of squashes and pumpkins and what we've done this year is we've donated a lot of the pumpkins and squashes to the community that's great Mm. i mean pumpkins are a funny one aren't they because they can be pies also soup and and things so they can be sweet or almost savory as well oh yeah yeah so at the christmas fair which i'm I'm sure we'll mention later on we always do a lovely pumpkin soup and i think last year we did a pumpkin and leek soup from the allotment and it was amazing people were coming back for seconds and thirds and so soup pumpkin soup is wonderful and what better than sort of picking your own and making it.
So you mentioned the Christmas fair there, and that's happening in the Great Barn in Harmonsworth. Yeah, once again, it's an absolute privilege for us to be joined up with English Heritage to have access to the Great Barn, which is in the heart of Harmonsworth, where we'll be holding our Christmas market on the 20th of November, which is a Sunday, and that's from 12 till 4. And we've got the Mayor of Hillingdon coming along to open up the um, event. We'll have music, food, lots of different types of stalls, and we've still got place for stall holders. So if anybody wants a stall, um, any entrepreneurs, we, we have people who make jewellery or you know, clothing or anything with candles or anything Christmassy you might have and you fancy having a table there, get in touch with us. There is an email address, and Steve, I'll leave that to you for you to read out. But it's a really community event, and please do come down and join us and support the village. So the email is harmonsworth.life at outlook.com. So that's harmonsworth.life at outlook.com if you want to stall there. And that sounds great. I mean, I love a, uh, I love a Christmas fair, especially the smells. Mm. And the barn is a wonderful place to hold a Christmas market. So when should we catch up again? I mean, um, when the next sort of chapter of the allotment start? So we're in autumn. Winter is a good time as well, just to sit down and see what's actually growing. And we can follow the cabbages and the garlic, which will have gone in by now, because garlic should be in the ground by now. So maybe sometime in sort of December, January, before we go into spring. Yeah, that sounds great. Well, good luck with everything on the allotment. Um, I know it's a really amazing community space for um, everybody to, to get together and, and work there, helping with people's mental health. Absolutely. And we do a lot of work with Hillingdon Mind, the charity, and we've just joined up with um, the Centre of Hope, which is a charity based in Hillingdon who helps support people with brain tumours. And they come down to the allotment and uh, do some gardening as well. And that really, really helps them. Fantastic work. All right, take care, and we'll speak soon, Hardip. Cheers. Take care. Okay, we're going to be chatting about some medical topics in this next segment that some listeners may find gross, but they're very important topics, especially if you're male. Let's welcome to the studio Trevor Walker, who is a volunteer for Orchid Charity, who raise awareness of prostate, testicular and penile cancer. Hello, Trevor. Hello there. Thanks very much for this, Steve. Men never go to the doctors, do they? Women go to the doctors five times as often as men. It's because you're going to love these ladies, you're more sensible. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Who could add an expression to women? Nag and drag, if necessary to get your man to have a PSA test if it's pertinent. Now, that's what we're chatting about mainly today, isn't it? Encouraging people to go and get PSA tests, which is a test which may indicate that you have prostate cancer. Tell us about your story then, Trevor. How did you find out you had prostate cancer? Way back. In 1996, I used to work for the Oldies Permanent. And if you're over 50, I was 53 at the time. They gave their managers, men and women, uh, full medical one of the things it said that my PSA was high. Duh, I said, because I had no idea what it was about. Prostate-specific antigen is a test for prostate cancer, and it indicated that I most probably have prostate cancer. The test isn't accurate, but it's the best they have. A certain number of people, the indication will be wrong, and they go on to have unnecessary tests, maybe in some cases, unfortunately, treatment. But the number 
that effect is very small, where the number of lives it changes is tremendous. Now, it's important to mention that you had no symptoms. No, no, I didn't. 80% of men, thank you, Steve, 80% of men don't get symptoms in the early stages. That's an awful lot of people. So that's why it's important to have the PSA test. I absolutely, fervently believe in it. It saved my life, and I've been doing volunteering on the subject for 10, 11 years, and the number of people, I'm going to sound arrogant when I say this, but men have come up to me and say, you've saved my life or my husband, whatever's life. And I get all embarrassed in that, and I don't very often get embarrassed, but it's a lovely feeling. Better tested than permanently rested. Give us some figures then for how common prostate cancer is. I know there's a bit of a, it depends on your um, origin, doesn't it, as well? Which yeah, is um, if you're white or Asian, one in eight men will get it, normally over 50. Black guys, unfortunately, get it one in four, double the number of different ethnic groups. And they also get it earlier in the mid-40s. So, you know, I like talking to black guys because... It's even more important then than it is to the average white or Asian guy. 50,000 men will be diagnosed every year. In the region of 12,000 men will actually die from prostate cancer a year. Is it the case that some doctors seem to be hesitant about giving PSA tests? Yes, they are. If it were cynic, you may say it's cost. Some doctors don't believe in the PSA tests. I think they're wrong. They may have more medical knowledge than me, but I've spoken to so many people over the years and... Streetwise tells me that it is vital to have if you're in those groups. PSA test is a, is a blood test, is yeah. that right? It's nothing to be afraid of. No. And then there's another test which you can do, which is the old finger up the backside test. Yeah. Can I say what Bob Stewart said about that? By all means. A finger up the bum gets the job done. There you go. That's what Rod Stewart says. <laughs> and it, it does. What they're looking for, if the prostate is bigger than it should be, if it's got lumps on it, or if it's hard. It helps make the semen, that's its purpose. Yeah. So if a man has got a prostate, they're um, infertile, basically. And one other thing I ought to say there, we say that women can't get it. That's not strictly true anymore. If a man changes his sex to a woman, he will re- usually retain the prostate. Oh. So some women, in those circumstances, can get the cancer. You're also more likely to get prostate cancer if your father has it. Yeah, oh yeah. Even granddads, but uncles, brothers, whatever. If it's common in the in the family, you're two and a half times likely to get it. If there's breast cancer in the family, somebody close, like your mum, sister, whatever, you are more likely to get it. Then let's have a look at the symptoms. Obviously, some people do get symptoms of prostate cancer. What, what sort of things could they be? Any change in urine, really. You have to go more often. You've got a weak flow. They do flow tests when they're looking at it. The thing is, we go more often. As men get older, they will go more often. So you've got to be realistic about it. Um, it's a sign. And more urgently, you know, you've got to rush to get there in time. Maybe even difficulty doing it. Pain or burning sensation when you're urinating. And I'm afraid difficulty in getting or maintaining an erection or pain during the process. And the other thing is blood in the urine or the semen. Is another indication. Let's move on to testicular cancer, which you told me affects 2,400. Yeah, men a year. We've done a lot, but of course, if it is if you're one of those. 
Yeah, as you said, 2,400 men will get it. I keep saying this because it's important. You can get any cancer any age, but it's normally 15 to 45. Some people think it's just teenage. It's not. It's 15 to 45. It's normally treatable if caught in time. And what's the symptoms for that one? You should fill your testicles, hold an area in your hand and fill each testicle one by one for lumps, bumps, or if it's particularly hard. Or if you don't want to do it yourself, get somebody to do it for you, but that's it, your business. And then, obviously, testicular cancer is is treatable, and you say it's not quite as dangerous as prostate cancer? No, it's not. A, it's not so many people get it, and B, it is more treatable. The thing is with prostate cancer, to go back do that, I'd say women go to the doctors five times as often as men. Men think they're being macho, not going. That is daft. Don't be a mug and chest shrug. Go and be tested, please. Let's move on to a bit more of a rare cancer, which is penile cancer. Tell us about that one. 700 men will get it a year in the UK. It's not as dangerous. It's not as um, life-reducing as the other cancers, but it's not very pleasant at all. I won't go into the treatment here, and it depends on what it is, of course, but I'll leave that to your imagination. Any change in, in a man's penis, a growth or ulcer, especially around the foreskin, changes in the colour of the penis, the skin thickening on it, irregular swelling, lumps and bumps again, really, persistent oval swelling discharge, blood coming from the tip, any really reddish rash, again, beneath the foreskin, or small bumps around the foreskin. Obviously, the foreskin is a very important area for it. Keep an eye on it. Or again, get somebody to do it for you, but keep an eye on it. It's so rare, a lot of professionals, unfortunately, don't know much about it. Um, maybe more than me, but I don't know a lot. So it's important that if you think anything's wrong, you go and see them and they can direct you to a, a, a professional that knows a lot about it. The one peculiar thing you think, but when you think deeper, maybe not, is smoking can cause people to be more susceptible to it because the, the bad things from the smoke goes into your urine and that passes through the penis. So, you know, that's not nice to get. <laughs> I don't want anybody to get any of those cancers, but having had prostate cancer and cured, more or less, I don't want penile cancer, thank you. So we can often see you um, wandering around at events, giving out your uh, information cards. Most events I go to, you seem to be there uh, <laughs> quite <laughs> quite a lot. Uh, it's great that you're raising awareness of this in the area. You've got those special leaflets that unfold. Anything else you wanted to add, Trevor? Yeah, if any groups, and it can be a women's group like the WI or whatever, Tones Women Guild, anybody would like a talk, um, it's Trevor Walker. My email is trevorewalker at com. I'm sure Steve will give you the details anyway. That's great. Well, thanks, Trevor, for coming in and telling us all about the three cancers covered by the Orchid charity there. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for the opportunity, Steve. And people, remember, better tested than permanently rested. So it's poetry time here on Uxbridge FM, and we welcome back Naveena Abvani, who is fast becoming our Uxbridge FM in-house poet. Hi, Naveena. Hi, thank you very much, Steve. 
Now, you've been looking at National Poetry Day that happened earlier this month, and you were also involved in National Poetry Day. Tell us a bit about that and how that came about. Yes, so actually it's been a really great month for me. I've actually been really, really busy this month. I'll tell you a little bit about the National Poetry Day because I wanted to use today as a way of bringing it to attention. It's a month full of activities and things you can get involved in. The National Poetry Day usually takes place during the first week of October, but then continues throughout the rest of the month. And it's a month packed of activities from various exciting events organized during this week, from competitions, writing a poem based on a particular theme, sharing a poem by sending one to a friend or a loved one. There's lots and lots of performances during this time. And there are so many organizations involved who are interested in encouraging your work. There's an amazing amount of information there that you can still get, although we're going towards the end of the month, you can still access this information. I became involved in this as a result of my poetry work previously, but this month has been particularly busy for me as I was asked to be a judge for the Young Poets by Lit Fest. So the young poets are aged from 7 to 11, and I've been very busy involved with judging their work. And it is so difficult to make a decision between this piece of work and this piece of work when they all hit the same notes and they do fantastic work. So you spend a lot of time getting involved in that. I've also been involved in attending various performances I've done one spoken word poem at an event on the environment. So it's kind of become quite a busy month, but it's such an exciting month. And so I really want to bring it to everyone that you don't have to be a poet. You just have to be interested or know that it's out there for you to grab it as and when you wish to. The BBC have set up a poetry live sessions thing during this month for 7 to 11-year-olds. Their sessions include forms which you fill in live and they involve the senses. I'm just going to stop there and just make you all think about the senses. Can we remember the senses? So the BBC have actually set this up as part of their lessons, 7 to 11-year-olds have to fill in the sections on these senses, whatever they're experiencing at that moment. And then the next section, a section on my favorite ideas, and they can put whatever they want to. And then gradually you follow through the lesson and you see that you start creating sentences which build into simple poems. It's a very good exercise and it's still available. I actually don't think it's 
just for 7 to 11-year-olds, I think we can all make use of it, regardless of your age, and any of us who knew or just interested in trying out. And even if you were not writing poetry, if you were writing fiction, you would still need to be aware of these senses so that you can write better, develop your characters better, express what they're feeling or thinking or experiencing at any moment. So all in all, it's just a wonderful month to get involved in. I was fortunate enough to have been selected as one of the junior judges, judge for the junior competition for LitFest. This is for the age 7 to 11, for the winner and the runner-up for the competition. I want to see, ideally, what our listeners make of this. So the first one is one called Environmental Worries by a girl called Sylvia. She's a seven-year-old, and the poem starts, Planet Earth. We're ruining it. We're clogging up the atmosphere, littering the ground, the concrete-coated ground, building surround. The animals are dying. People are crying. Everything's going wrong. But a flame of hope is shining brightly guiding our footsteps. We can save the planet if we spread the word because all is not lost. If we try and try and try to help the bees plant more trees and save the seas. So I wonder what our listeners would make of it on this one, it's the wording is very simple, but very profound. It's just her feelings and her senses that she's put down in sentences and worked from that. So the next one I've got is another seven-year-old. So this was the runner-up. And this one is, Is Mother Earth Happy?, Sometimes I wonder if Mother Earth is happy with the weight of mankind to bear. Maybe the oceans are her tears, for she knows that we don't care. But then I remember that Earth doesn't feel. It's the creatures and plants that will die. It's life on this planet that we're killing. What we tell each other is a lie. Perhaps I'll look through a smaller lens. The local environment seems better. Most people are responsible. We can be example setters. Then why do we destroy her? Why don't we do more? Why aren't we angry when we know what is in store? So help when you can. 
you won't feel unhappy, then ask yourself this question, is Mother Earth happy? We can tell what's on the uh, minds of the kids at the moment, environmental issues. Yeah, and that was the trend that was running throughout. There was a clear demarcation between the adult themes and the younger themes. All the younger poems I read were all to do with environment. It was amazing, just a straight demarcation. It's great to see that, that they care about the environment because this is their future and maybe there'll be future Greta's. I don't know. It just shows that they do feel about the environment. They want to do something. And this is at a very young age when you think seven years old. I'm just going to read one or two adult ones just to give you a bit of a contrast. This could be viewed as humorous in some way, but there's a very different approach to these. The first one is called Dog Days, which is D-A-Z-E, by Joe Reagan. It's very simple. Dogs strut down the street in designer courts. Newsreaders skip over clips of children drowned in boats. Canine groomers polish paws and pamper muzzles. Airbrushed politicians fail to solve world migration puzzles. Baristas prepare luscious puppuccinos for the mutts. Media feeds national propaganda another border shuts. I wonder what you and the listeners make of that. Yeah, a bit more complicated, that one. <laughs> yes. The thing there is that each stanza or each verse is a contrast to the next one. So we talk about dogs strutting in the lovely designer courts. Then we talk about the newsreaders skipping over the clips of children drowned in boards. Then we go back to the canine having the paws polished. Then we go back to the politicians. Then we go to the baristas who are preparing luscious puppuccinos. Then we go back to the media propaganda and other border shuts. And I think what it's trying to show here is the contrast between the rich with the dogs and the problems and the suffering elsewhere. I thought it was very cleverly done. So really what I'd like the listeners to do is nothing complicated. I just want them to have a look at the BBC website. If they look BBC website National Poetry Day and Poetry Live Lessons, it's for seven to 11 year olds, but they can look at it And I want them to look at the forms that I discussed earlier on the sights, the sounds, the senses that we talked about, the ideas, and see if they can follow that lesson through. And if they wish to, 
to be able to create something of their own. And I don't want anyone to feel pressurized. It's just a pleasure activity. But the poems that the seven-year-olds wrote were built from those and bringing in very simple sentences, you know, no rhyming, no sort of um, phrase repetition or anything, just simple. It can be a, you know, three-liner verse or something, you know. It can be trying to mimic haiku but not necessarily using syllables. Just have a look at that side and just have a look at other sides just to see what you can gain and whether you feel you benefit or not. And it would be interesting to hear the listeners' views on that next time. Yeah, I think so too. That's great. Try and get everybody more into poetry, which is fantastic. Well, thanks for that. That's interesting. So National Poetry Day early this month, but it's still going on on the web, it seems. Lots of um, events you can take part in and lots of resources to go and have a look at, particularly the BBC website, Poetry Live Lessons. Yes, yeah, definitely. There's lots going on. I had planned to talk about Halloween, but maybe they can use that as a theme if they want to. Yeah, Halloween would be a good theme. Yes, yes. <laughs> so maybe maybe that could be part of it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, that's great. Thank you very much, as usual, for taking the time to join us today. It's my pleasure, and I really enjoy these sessions, and it's my pleasure to be able to impart something to the listeners, and I so look forward to hearing from the listeners. Yeah, and to do that, just drop um, a note on our Facebook page or you can email us. We're studio at uxbridgefm.co.uk. Thank you very much, Navina. Thank you again, Steve. Right, let's take a look at what's happening in the area music-wise. Lots coming up at Tropic at Ryslip. Their specialism seems to be cover bands, so if you like Spandau Ballet, Led Zeppelin, Fleetwood Mac, Madness, Bon Jovi, Take That or Pink Floyd, head over to tropicatryslip.co.uk for the dates. Comedy, of course, we've got the Comedy Bunker at Uxbridge Golf Club. They're now doing two shows a month. Check out comedybunker.co.uk and loads on at the Beck Theatre. Check becktheatre.org.uk. Do let us know if you've got an event planned. You can do that on Twitter, we're Uxbridge FM, or you can email what's on at uxbridgefm.co.uk. Thanks for listening, and thanks to Chris Allam for helping out and Luca Nieri for the music. I'll catch you next month. <laughs> <laughs>